Hello and welcome to the First Hand Football Show. Folks, we are back with another episode for you guys. Logan, how are we doing this week, man? Well, we're doing well. My Bills won. I mean, what more could you want? You know, I knew you were going to bring it up at some point, so let's not ignore it. Let's just get right into it. Um, Folks, we're here to react to week one of the NFL season and week two of the college season. Um, Logan obviously has been gloating since Thursday night that the Buffalo Bills apparently do have a defense. Um, if you didn't watch the game, the bills beat the Rams in Thursday night football to kick off the NFL season 31 to 10. And if you listened last week, I told you the bills didn't have a defense. The bills have a defense. Um, Logan, how did you know the bills were going to be that good defensively this year? Well, I mean, you go and you get a big talent, like, um, like Von Miller. I mean, he's just gonna. I feel like he's a guy you're going to bring in. He's just going to make everyone better let alone the talent they had drafted the previous year. I mean, it's evident that they've grown even more from last year. I mean, this team had seven sacks against the Super Bowl champions. That's no, it, you talked about that talent that they already had. Carl, you know, Boogie Basham out of Wake Forest, Gregory Rousseau out of Miami, two draft picks a year ago, each had a sack. A.J. Epinesa, who was a second-round pick the year prior, had one-and-a-half sacks. So recent draft picks really panned out on that D-line that maybe weren't as great last year. The one thing I will say, this is not the same Rams offensive line that played in the Super Bowl. Joe Noteboom starting at left tackle for them now with Andrew Whitworth retiring. Um, This line was not impressive. It, It looked really bad, but I would also say Matt Stafford didn't look good. I don't know what was up with him just not throwing the football to Allen Robinson, but I am a little concerned about that Rams offense. Josh Allen looks amazing. Uh, your, your early season Josh Allen for MVP call might be right on the money if he keeps running the football the way he did Thursday. I just want to point out, too, that, I mean, he had a couple interceptions, but that first interception was just uh, – that was borderline fumble on that one. I mean, gifting the – Gifting to the defense with one right there. Um, but, yeah, no, I after seeing the Rams this offseason go out and get Robinson to add to that running back room, I expected a lot more out of them. But, I mean, the yardage-wise just wasn't there. They couldn't run the ball to save their life. They had to rely on the passing game. The passing game, like you said, just didn't pan out the way that you would expect it to. You know, and I think this one just shows right now that Maybe L.A. is not the favorite in that NFC West. We're going to dive into it. You know, let's go straight into that NFC West and look at some of the other teams who played out of the West. The Arizona Cardinals played the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, a lot of the talk was, will the Chiefs be as good offensively losing Tyree Kill? They didn't skip a beat. Patrick Mahomes throws for five touchdowns. The Chiefs absolutely decimate the Cardinals 44-21. to And I think the most telling thing for me is I know DeAndre Hopkins is serving a six-game suspension, but you just paid Kyler Murray. What was it? I believe a hundred was at least a hundred million guaranteed. I believe was a hundred four million. It was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. And Kyler Murray doesn't even throw for two hundred yards. He doesn't even rush for thirty yards. He's their leading rusher in the game with only twenty-nine yards on five carries. the Cardinal offense was the most concerning thing to me. I understood, you know, you lose Chandler Jones, the defensive line is going to struggle a little bit, but I expected the Cardinals to be able to keep up with the chiefs offense. What did you think 
about that game? Um, I think they should have put the film study clause in this contract because um, I don't think he was seeing the game. I mean, just just watching their offense go out, I only watched about the first half of it before. I mean, it was already kind of a runaway at halftime. But it, it was just they couldn't accomplish anything. They couldn't move the ball well. They couldn't catch anything. I mean, they're relying on one or two guys to catch the ball. They couldn't really spread it out a lot. A lot. Um, yeah, it just, just wasn't a good look. You know, and we knew Mahomes was going to force feed Kelsey. Kelsey went for eight catches, 121 yards, and a touchdown. But Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster, nice welcoming to the Chiefs with the six catches, 79 yards. Mahomes spread the football out. You know, you had Noah Gray with the catch. Nicole Hardman had three catches. Jarek McKinnon, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, both with three catches out of the backfield. I mean, a lot of guys getting catches in Kansas City. Um, and then, you know, you look at the running back room as well. Isaiah Pachanko, the rookie out of Rutgers, actually led them in rushing with 62 yards and a touchdown. This Chiefs offense is not going to skip a beat. You know, I expect the Chiefs to still be just as dangerous on offense as they were Last year, you know, when you look at what they have to compete against in the AFC West, the Chargers and Raiders played each other very well yesterday. Chargers come out on top 24 to 19. And really, I, I know everybody's saying, well, if the Raiders had a quarterback, then they're contenders because Derek Carr did play terrible yesterday. But let's not forget, last year, if the Raiders didn't have Derek Carr, they weren't making the playoffs. So, you know, let's pump the brakes, you know, Carr. He did struggle, but he went against a defensive line that had Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa going against offensive linemen that I'm pretty sure nobody knew were real humans until they took the field for the Raiders yesterday. What do you think, though, about the Chargers? I know you had them coming out of the AFC West. Still feel confident in that pick? Absolutely. I mean, it just shows that, I mean, Justin Herbert had a pretty good game, you know, three touchdowns, 279 yards. Um, he's QBR rating was 84 point. I mean, it's a good stat line to have, you know, against a tough uh, division opponent, I feel like. I mean, the Raiders are no walk in the park. I mean, like you said, Derek Carr did struggle, but it was good to see them already get their money's worth for Devontae Adams, who had 10 receptions with 141 yards and a touchdown. I mean, that's who he was looking to a lot. He was targeted 17 times in that game, more than anyone in that by far. Um, in that entire game on both sides of the ball. But you can see where Derek Carr is going to try to lean on him a lot more. But I think what he's going to have to try to do is try to spread it out a little bit more because everyone's now going to focus on Devontae Adams. That might leave Hunter Renfro open a lot more or Darren Waller, you know, some other guys that are able to make uh, big-time plays. You know, the one thing that I would say is a little bit of cause for concern for the Chargers, a couple things. One, Keenan Allen did go out with an injury. Um, he was averaging 16 and a half yards per reception prior to going out, ended up with four catches for 66 yards. But the big glaring thing that I think the Chargers are going to need to develop is that run game. You know, as a team, they carried the ball 31 times for only 76 yards. So as a team, they only averaged two and a half yards per carry. Austin Eckler, who, you know, people have hyped Austin Eckler up forever because of his ability to catch the football out of the backfield. He had 14 carries for only 36 yards. I don't think the Chargers are going to be able to be a one-dimensional passing attack and win. You know, I know the Chiefs don't run the football at an elite rate, but they are still able to run the football when needed. The Chargers are going to need to develop that running game. You hit on it with Derek Carr. Um, I felt that he was force-feeding Devontae Adams a little bit at times. You know, he did hit Darren Waller for 79 yards, but 
I, I would have liked to have seen him spread the football more, uh, get guys like Hunter Renfro more involved. Definitely something the Raiders need to focus on. I tell you the game that shocked me, and this was another one you kind of called. You know, I have to say you were hot this weekend with your uh, predictions. The Minnesota Vikings, um, you have them winning the NFC North this year, and they looked good, man. They looked really good beating the Packers 23-7. to um, The big thing I noticed was, Aaron Rodgers never got comfortable in that game. This is Aaron Rodgers. Well, I believe they said it was his first career game without throwing a touchdown. The only touchdown the Packers scored was a two-yard run for A.J. Dillon. What made you so confident to pick the Vikings, not only to win this game, but to win the North this year? I just like what they have on the offense. I mean, you talk about teams in the NFL that excite you. They all have these big explosive offenses. You like Cincinnati. They have one of the best wide receiver cores in the NFL. You like the Chargers. You like the Kansas City Chiefs. They all have great offenses. Not saying defense doesn't matter either, but, I mean, the phrase defense wins championships is definitely true, but I think now in this day and age, offenses is what is going to get you to win ball games most of the time, I feel like. Even the Buffalo Bills, I mean, that offense you saw was untouchable. But, yeah, I mean, I think Kirk Cousins, I think you have an apology to Kirk Cousins. Uh, you wanted to bash him a little bit. But guy went out, had a very – I mean, he had a good day. I mean, 23 for 32 um, on completions, two touchdowns. Um, and he kind of spread the ball around a little bit. I mean, yeah, he Justin Jefferson for 11 targets. But after that, it was pretty even around Adam Thielen and hitting their, or, uh, Cook out of the backfield. Um, so I think they have a lot going for him right now. You know, I was absolutely shocked. I really thought that Jair Alexander would give Justin Jefferson more – you know, trouble that he did. I think Justin Jefferson cemented himself as probably the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. I know that's a lofty praise, especially with guys like Jamar Chase and Debo Samuel, but Justin Jefferson is just an elite talent. Nine catches, 184 yards, and two touchdowns. I will say the one thing we talked about that we were worried about with the Green Bay Packers is the pass catchers. A.J. Dillon out of the backfield led them in receiving yards. He had five catches for 46 yards. Aaron Rodgers targeted him the most, targeting him six times. After that, it was rookie Romeo Dubs. You know, I, I would say, you know, Green Bay, they did invest some draft picks. They invested a fifth rounder out of Dubs out of Nevada. And then in the second round, they drafted Christian Watson out of North Dakota State. Watson had a touchdown in his hands in the end zone and just dropped it. You can tell Aaron Rodgers doesn't trust these wide receivers. And I think it's something that could spell trouble in Green Bay. Rodgers just definitely looked like maybe he should have retired. I mean, no touchdowns. He went 22 of 34, 195 yards and a pick. He was sacked four times. Definitely some cause for concerns there in Green Bay. We got to talk about the hometown team, the Bengals. The Bengals lose a heartbreaker 23-20 in overtime to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you know, everybody always says special teams doesn't matter. You know, you being our resident kicker on the podcast, man, Tell us what went wrong there. When Clark Harris, the Bengals long snapper, goes out, we find out it's torn biceps, so he was placed on the IR today. Tell us what went wrong there. All the Bengals need to do is kick the extra point to win the game. What happened, man? I mean, definitely on that PAT, you could tell a lot of it was um, – a lot of it was in just the procedure of that field goal – I mean, that PAT. Um, I was a little concerned, though, after I watched the highlight of it. On that left side um, – I think it was Fitzpatrick, if I'm not wrong, really just blew through a hole on that side, which you normally don't see and shouldn't happen to begin with. But 
I, you can't place – the blame can go in a lot of places on this one. You can blame on the left side of that line for letting Fitzpatrick in. You could blame the long, the backup long snapper for not getting the timing down. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you got to make the kick. Um, I think it was fine. Now, the second kick that he uh, missed in overtime, that one, he that was all him. The ball was down perfect. I mean, the snap, snap was high, whatever. The ball was down. Wasn't that far of a kick, in my opinion, for him at least. But you could see how he finished. He definitely hit that one way left. And just the way that he came through that ball, you could tell that he was going to hit that way left. You know, um, there was a couple things I've heard. I've heard people say, well, why did the Bengals have a backup tight end? You know, the third string tight end. Why is he your backup long snapper? He's not actually the backup long snapper. You and I both know this. No team carries two long snappers on game day. You have one long snapper. The Bengals did have a long snapper on the practice squad, but you're not going to dress two long snappers for an NFL game. Um, my, my other thing is, is we're, you know, crucifying the long snapping. And if he would have just made the kick, blah, blah, blah. How about Joe Burrow not throw four interceptions? You know, I picked Joe Burrow to win MVP this year and he comes out and throws four interceptions and just looks like Ryan Tannehill did in their playoff game. I mean, Joe Burrow struggled this Bengals offensive line. They spent a ton of money on it in the off season and Yet somehow Pittsburgh still comes in and gets an alarming amount of sacks. The Pittsburgh Steelers had seven sacks in this game. How do you go? I mean, to me, there's a lot going on in Cincinnati. Jamar Chase looked amazing. He had his big day, 10 catches, 129 yards, and a touchdown. But that Bengal offensive line has got to improve. Pittsburgh had a massive loss with T.J. Watt. Looks like he tore his – I believe they say tore his peck. They don't believe it's a full tear – I just read that it's not a season-ending injury. I think he'll be back before the season's over. But, you know, I, I, I would say without T.J. Watt, I worry about Pittsburgh because Trubisky, he only threw for 194 yards and a touchdown. So I wasn't overly impressed with him. What would you think overall about the Pittsburgh Steelers in this game? I mean, you say that about Trubisky, but I thought he did a pretty decent job of being like a – like just kind of a game control guy. I mean, he was out there controlling the offense pretty well. Um, I mean, he didn't carry them to the win or anything, but he was able to go out there, do what he needed to do and help them win. But I think, I mean, you talk about that Cincinnati line, how they beefed it up and he still was sacked seven times. I mean, that was one of the probably hardest test runs that offensive line could have taken first game off. I mean, you're playing one of the best defensive lines in NFL, but came Hayward and TJ Watt defensive player of the year. I mean, TJ Watt was all over Joe Burrow that game and still getting sacked seven times was rough. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Burrow with four interceptions, that's just, that's not what we're used to seeing. That's not what anyone would have predicted or expected to see out of Burrow in this first game. I, I mean, I would have thought this would have been a shootout maybe um, to the better end, which Pittsburgh didn't really score. Well, they scored like three points in that second half. I mean, they ran away with it. It was 17 three at halftime. And you're like, this is a boring game, but then Cincinnati came back. And if you watched that last drive where Cincinnati came back and finally scored, that was an electric play by Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase was making crazy catches, even ones that weren't called in. He was making some one-handed grabs. It was real fun to see him. Um, I think what hurt him as well is losing T Higgins to a concussion. Cause you take out one of the top three targets that Burrow has not place an excuse for the loss, but it definitely hurts you a lot. Um, but no, I think, Cincinnati is going to have some growing pains with this one as they get comfortable with that offensive line. Um, I think they'll work on it, and I think they're going to be fine. 
you know, we talked about how bad Burrow looked at times. I tell you, there were two quarterbacks who might have been even more painful to watch yesterday, and that was in the 49ers and Bears game. The Bears win the game 19 to 10, but wow, was that some terrible quarterback play. Trey Lance for the 49ers goes 13 to 28 for 164 yards and a pick. Justin Fields only completes eight passes in the win. He went eight of 17 for 121 yards, two touchdowns and interception. And he ran the football 11 times for 28 yards. This game was just ugly. Neither of these teams look like good football teams. Trey Lance did not look like a good quarterback. Now, I will say the weather in this game was absolutely terrible. I don't know if you saw the viral video of the Bears sliding in the rain after the game, but the field conditions were horrendous. I just... I think the 49ers may need to already start having internal questions about do we need to let Jimmy Garoppolo be the quarterback if we want to have a chance to be competitive this year? Do you think Trey Lance still has it in him to maybe be the guy, even though we saw such a horrendous week one? I mean, they've been throwing red flags at this forever now. I mean, ever since he's been drafted, it's been, well, when's he going to be ready? When's he going to be ready? I mean, they're still saying he needs more time right now, but like, how much more time does he actually need? Because he's had plenty of time to grow and develop in that offense. He's had plenty of time to sit behind Jimmy G and listen to what or watch what he's going to do um, and what place he needs to come up and be at that elite level to take the 49ers to the Super Bowl, I would say. But I, I'm just not impressed. I don't think anyone's impressed with Trey Lance. Um, I think it's time to just go back to the drawing board and find something else. You know, and I know Trey Lance – you know, there's going to be growing pains. I know that has not started a lot, but he was playing a Bears defense that is not the same Bears defense that we remember being elite. Khalil Mack's not there anymore. I thought this would be a game where we would see Trey Lance run the football and use a lot of RPO to his advantage, and it just never happened. On the flip side, though, Justin Fields still does not look very good as an NFL quarterback. I'm a little concerned. I know – they did not get him any weapons. He's throwing to guys like Equinemius St. Brown and, you know, Darnell Mooney and whatnot. I'm a little worried about Justin Fields. I will say, you know, it's great for him as a competitor to be able to squeak out a win like this. Um, I did love to see a couple of his throws, including the big bomb, the 51-yarder to Pettis for the touchdown. But I, neither of these teams excite me. I don't blame Roquan Smith for wanting out of Chicago. Looking at some of the other games that happened, you talked about the Eagles and Lions before we started recording and what a shootout that was. You know, I will say the one thing with this Eagles team this year, the East is wide open now, especially with the Cowboys. We'll get to them in a little bit, what's going on with them. But the East is now the Eagles to lose, and that offense looks elite. You look at A.J. Brown, 10 catches, 155 yards, you had Miles Sanders with 96 rushing yards out of the backfield. Jalen Hurts ran for 90 yards and threw for 243 yards. I mean, just a great offensive performance from the Eagles. Are you saying at this point the Eagles are the favorite in the East? Would you say that right now? You could say that right now. I mean, the crazy thing, though, is everyone in that division besides the Cowboys won their first – I mean, their week one game. I also think – that everyone played some mediocre teams. I mean, the commanders played the Jaguars, um, the Eagles played the lions who were the worst team in the NFL last year. And then who, who the giants beat the I giants. They, I will say the, the giants, giants beat, were the one giants beat the Titans who are on the downslope right now. And but that's a quality team. win for the giants. I mean, 
I we, we gotta give the Giants a little bit of love. You you were talking about Danny Dimes getting a contract extension, man. I don't know where you pulled these rabbits out of the hat this week, but I think almost every prediction you made might have been right on the money. I mean, I, I'm not the only one now. I, after that win, I'm hearing everyone talking about um, Daniel Jones possibly going to get this contract deal. It's it's one win though. I mean, it's not for certain. Um, he's got to do a little bit more than that. But yeah, I mean, I just I just feel like it was right. I mean, they gave him some weapons this year. I feel like, and Saquon Barkley showed that he is the guy if he can stay healthy on that offense, who can produce for them. You know what? Let's look at that Giants-Titans game. The Giants win 21-20 on a Randy Bullock missed field goal for the Titans as time expired. Very typical. Typical Bullock. Yeah, you know, some people – I Randy Bullock's one of those guys, I don't know how he still has a job in the NFL given how many kickers are out there. But, you know, you look at Daniel Jones. He goes 17-21. and you know, he only threw for 188 yards, but a very efficient day. And he was the game manager they needed when Saquon Barkley goes 18 carries, 164 yards and a touchdown. Really like seeing that. I was impressed with the Giants defense holding Derrick Henry under 90 yards rushing. He had 21 carries for 82 yards. They kept him out of the end zone. Really an impressive day for the Giants. I want to look at that Sunday night football game, the Buccaneers and Cowboys. The Cowboys offense, I know Dak is out. They said it's going to be like six to eight weeks. He had the hand surgery today. Um, the Cowboys, Mike McCarthy's come out and said they're going to try and make a move at quarterback, which tells me they don't want to start Cooper Rush for the time being, which I don't blame them. Um, but even when Dak was in there, that Cowboy offense looked terrible. The Cowboy offense looked absolutely terrible. I will say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did not impress me. This was not an impressive win for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They beat up a really bad Cowboys team. That Cowboy offensive line is atrocious, and those Cowboy wide receivers were creating no separation whatsoever. Tampa Bay only scored 19 points on a Cowboy defense that's mediocre at best. This just looked like two average football teams playing really bad football. What did you think of it? I mean, it was a pretty boring game to watch, honestly, and it just solidified everyone. I feel like a lot of people's feelings about the Cowboys. And, I mean, you, you look at it here. Zeke and Pollard just didn't produce anything spectacular. I mean, Zeke had 10 carries for 52 yards, which is all right. Um, but they only rushed – I mean, they only ran the ball 18 times, which I feel like if you two top guys on that offense are arguably your running backs, I mean, I feel like you'd want to feed them. Although they are behind a beaten up and untalented offensive line, um, I could see why that would be a struggle for them. And then through the air, I mean, he kind of spread the ball a little bit, but his top throws were to Schultz. I mean, I just don't see him having a lot of weapons. It was just it's a sad offense, in my opinion. It's just it's no, there's no efficiency. There's no big spectacular name on that offense that just impressed me a lot. And then watching that game, it was just struggle after struggle after struggle um, on both sides of the ball. So, I mean, I think I called the Cowboys being not one of their division, and it's very evident they're not going to do it again. I mean, we can throw back to a time where we saw Andy Dalton and Ben DiNucci both start quarterback in the same year for the Cowboys back when Dak was hurt. And I feel like we're just going to see the same thing. Hey, I will tell you, if the Cowboys call up the legend himself, Ben DiNucci, all of James Madison University will turn up to that game. By the way, James Madison, very impressive FBS debut this year. Massive blowout. But I want to talk about one more NFL game before we get to the college ranks. 
the Cleveland Browns. They have done it. They have won week one for the first time since before either of us were out of diapers. I mean, what had it been, 18 years, 20 years, some alarming statistics that only Browns (laughs) fans can get used to uh, where they hadn't won in week one for way too long. Jacoby Brissett did not look impressive. He only went 18 for 34, what failed to throw for over 200 yards. But they didn't need him to be an all-world quarterback. They needed him to be a game manager. Nick Chubb had a big game. Baker Mayfield struggled early, got it going late. But the superstar, the new best kicker in the state of Ohio, Evan McPherson, move aside. His name is Cade York. Cade York goes four for four, including a game-winning 58-yard field goal. The man is, if you've ever listened to his interviews, he's got the most swagger I've ever seen from a kicker. I thought Evan McPherson had it, but listen to Cade York talk. He's absolutely amazing. I was listening to a story. He told Jacoby Brissett at the beginning of the year, don't get me inside the 30, just get me to the fourth quarter and I'll make it. The guy is electric. The Browns, I told you, they'll go six and five, and then Watson will come back. Step one, complete. Um, I believe the Browns play the Jets in week two, which the Jets looked terrible losing to Baltimore 24 to nine. So uh, I don't look for Zach Wilson to be back in week two. I look for Joe Flacco to still have to start for the Jets. So feel pretty confident that the Browns are going to start out 2-0. and Do you want to go ahead and hop on the bandwagon and say you're no longer a Bengals fan at this point? Oh, never was a fan of either, to be honest. Although I did root for the Browns back in some Baker times, um, back when they lost to the Chiefs in the playoffs. I was definitely rooting for them then. It, there's just this stigma of Cleveland Brown football that's just fun to root for, the underdog. But, no, I, I really thought Baker Mayfield was going to pull off this revenge tour until that field goal. But, I mean, talking about K. York, I mean, watching him in LSU, I felt like he kicked him for college for – like five years I, I every year I was like is this guy still actually playing college football and he was at LSU the guy was electric to watch him and McPherson I remember both of watching them in college and thinking these guys are elite and a different breed of kicker um I think a little hot take here you're, you're gonna start seeing teams sought after these kickers in earlier rounds in the NFL draft I mean, if just look at Cincinnati. Look how many games McPherson won the Bengals last year. I don't want to talk about this last week. I mean, that is what it is. Everyone's human. But just think about a game changer it is to have a consistent kicker, a guy that can come in and win it for you on the line no matter what. It's a huge play, and I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of it. And I definitely have to agree with you. I think the teams are going to still have some hesitancy, um, especially teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when Roberto Aguayo goes in the second round. And just, I mean, what, did Roberto even kick a full season for them? I mean, you do have guys like McPherson who goes in the fifth round and kicked Cincinnati into a Super Bowl. Cade York, obviously, fourth-round pick for the Browns this past year. And even, you know, you look at the punters that went this past year, too. You know, Tampa Bay debuted a new punter last night, uh, Jake Camarda, the rookie. And all he does on his first career punt is hit the scoreboard in Dallas Cowboy Stadium. So, I mean, these young guys have big legs, and it's definitely going to be a huge deal with these elite offenses we see. you got to be able to, especially in the punting game specifically, flip field position. Field position is going to be a huge deal. So I do have to agree the kicker is vastly important now. And we're going to kick it over to the college game now, man. I mean, you had some hot takes for college football, 
I had a few and all of mine turned out to be duds. But how did you know App State was going to beat Texas A&M? We just got to start there. App State beating Texas A&M 17-14 to 14 in College Station. How did you know it? Well, I mean, it's a shame we didn't get that episode out because I, I think my takes were pretty hot. I was, uh, I was right about a lot, I feel like, here. We'll start with App State. I mean, you just watched them week one, and you saw an offense that could go out there and just score on will. Um, the defense is what scared me against going Texas A&M. That's why I was hesitant to be 100% like, oh, this is an App State upset all the way, which it's hard to do but no matter who it is. But, I mean, they came in. And if I don't know, did you see the like, I don't even know what you would call that, like their pep rally speech that they gave before the game in their stadium talking about how they're just a bunch of hillbillies who can't read? Yeah, I saw I was actually just watching that before we started recording, talking about <laughs> Appalachia is not even a state. Like if you, if you if I saw that video before I was about to go play that team, it would fire me up. So I don't know if they saw it or not. But if they did see it, I would I would put some money that that had a um, a little role in their victory. But yeah, I mean, I went into that one. What else? I mean, Washington State, man, say they gave them some trouble with the Badgers, and they definitely did. Seventeen to fourteen at Wisconsin. That's a rough one to swallow. And I think this one hurts, honestly, the Big Ten as a whole because the Big Ten West has been such a bad division. You know the. The Big Ten East has Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, and is traditionally a pretty, you know, solid division. But the Big Ten West, if Northwestern's decent, which Northwestern fell to Duke on Saturday, um, Wisconsin was their lone ranked team out of that division. And Wisconsin looked absolutely anemic on offense. Iowa's offense looked anemic again. They lost to Iowa State 10 to 7. Um, and then the other team out of the Big Ten West, Nebraska. Nebraska gets beat by Georgia Southern. They paid Georgia Southern over a million dollars to come into Lincoln and play them, and they lose the game. And then afterwards, they fire Scott Frost. You know, I'm not surprised that Scott Frost got fired in the middle of the year, but I'm surprised he got fired after that game. And the reason being is because by firing Scott Frost, Nebraska has to pay a $15 million buyout. Now, if they would have waited three more weeks and fired him after week six, that buyout would have shrunk to $7.5 million. So what Nebraska essentially said is Scott Frost is so terrible as a head coach that they would rather just eat $7.5 million and fire him now. And I guess what is so alarming to me is if you knew he sucked that bad, why did you let him coach three games this year? Why did you let him recruit an entire class of athletes to come to, to Nebraska? Why not just fire him before the season? I mean, N Nebraska is a joke in my opinion for that. I mean, I don't think they knew that going in. I, I mean, it, I think it was the last – I think it was a hot seat year for Scott Frost, and the train just came off the train tracks a lot uglier than they expected, and that, I think that's what really occurred in Nebraska. I, I don't think that it was – that. I mean, it, it just turned out to be horrible. Um, yeah. I mean, I tell you, the train almost came out the train tracks for a lot of teams. Um, I think probably my favorite thing, though, from this weekend was that Alabama-Texas game. You know, Alabama pulled it out 20-19. to 19, But, you know, I did, I will have to say, I cannot stand Nick Saban. I am on the record as saying that Nick Saban may be one of my least favorite humans in college football. But I gained a lot of respect for Nick Saban after that game. And the reason being is his team wins 20-19. to 19. Bryce Young looks – 
a little rough at times. Alabama as a whole committed way too many penalties in that game. I think if Quinn Ewers did not get hurt in that game, Texas wins that game. Um, Hudson Card clearly showed why he did not win the starting job for Texas. But Alabama escapes 20 to 19. After the game, all the Bama players are doing the patented horns down sign, which is supposed to be a sign of disrespect to Texas football. And Nick Saban, you can read his lips as he's running on the field. He says, we don't do that blank. Um, he uses an, a more vulgar term for we don't do that crap here. Um, and I loved it because if you're Alabama, you're the number one team in the country. You're supposed to be the consensus best team in football. This is supposed to be your revenge tour. And you went on the road to play an unranked team and needed a last second field goal to win. So bragging like you are an elite football team, I really loved seeing Nick Saban tell his guys, shut up and get on the bus because we got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I mean, I don't have – I Nick Saban fits in that category with, like, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Like, you don't like them, but you you respect them. Um, if you, I just like listening to Nick Saban interviews and um, press conferences because he – I mean, the other day they were asking about, like, his backups and, like, if they just like bring out these talented NFL stars, all of a sudden he's like, no, I worry about it every night. Who's going to step up if we need it. So I really like Nick Saban. I like his philosophy. Um, I know a lot of people don't like him, but I respect him a lot as a coach. I think you don't become this dynasty of a program unless you're a really good coach and you have a really good philosophy of football. But I think there are several times Texas could have put the nail on the coffin on that game. For instance, on that last drive, Alabama driving down, that missed tackle that um, Bryce Young got out of was very impressive, but he should have been sacked for a huge loss there. The targeting call that overturned the safety blew my mind. I don't even – I mean, that was the dumbest call I've ever seen. I don't even know how that's targeting. I mean, there, I, I just – it baffled me. Baffled me. So, I thought Texas should have ran away – or not ran away, but that should have come up with a win, but – it is what it is. Well, and one thing I want to address with that targeting call specifically is everyone's like, well, it wasn't a big deal. They ended up overturning the targeting call itself. But it was a big deal because of the fact that there was targeting called on that play. Yeah, that player got to stay in the game, but it nullified what should have been a safety. And because they called targeting, the safety is null and void at that point. So it ended up being a huge deal. You talked about that missed tackle on the final drive. You know, that's Ryan Watts, who was an Ohio State transfer. He left Ohio State, and I really was – worried when Ohio State lost him um, with their secondary. And we watched the Buckeyes play Arkansas State and win 45-12. to 12. Um, I was really happy that the Buckeyes held Jackson Smith and Jigba out of that game. There was no need to play him, and the Buckeyes showed why with Marvin Harrison Jr. having seven catches for 184 yards and three touchdowns. Travion Henderson looked great with 87 yards and two, two touchdowns. You know, Stroud, 351 and four touchdowns. The offense looked really good, but I will tell you, I was a little concerned with the amount of defensive penalties. You know, Zach Harrison continuing to make just critical lining up in the neutral zone penalty. You know, I know we didn't let Arkansas State score a touchdown. I know they had to settle for four field goals, but they did move the football with some relative ease at times. You know, they had a wide receiver have 10 catches for 105 yards, and that concerns me a little bit when we're talking about an offense that last year was one of the worst offenses in America. I mean, not offenses, defenses. I apologize. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if anything, this was a good time for the Ohio State offense to come and get a little confidence. Um, after watching CJ Stroud look a little shaken that first game against Notre Dame, 
Um, and they've stepped it up for sure. I mean, the running game looked good. I think the passing game obviously was on point with two guys having 100 plus yards. Um, it would be great when Smith gets back in there, you know. Um, but I think a lot of it in the first game was just the play calling. And I think, I mean, against Arkansas State, it's hard to not just overpower them with talent. But I think one thing that Ohio State needed to prove on was their was their game calling on that offense, um, being able to spread the ball around um, and get your guys involved. But, yeah, I'm not too worried about them. I think the defense is fine and it's better. It surpassed any expectations I think most Buckeye fans have had coming into this first year of the Jim Knowles era defensive style. You know, when you talked about Notre Dame, you know, <laughs> I felt really good about Ohio State beating Notre Dame. And I know it was only a 21-10 to 10 victory, but I said, you know, you beat a top-five team. And Notre Dame, you know, played really motivated. And I thought Notre Dame would just roll in. They would just absolutely annihilate Marshall. Notre Dame's quarterback's out for the year now. Um, so Notre Dame's now down a quarterback. They're now 0-2. Notre Dame gets upset by Marshall. Uh, did you see that one coming? I, I don't think that was one that you had predicted. No, I don't think anyone saw this coming. Um, thanks for Ohio State, though. I mean, it takes a little bit of the credibility away from beating the number five team. Just a little bit. Um, it's just it's just unfortunate to be a Notre Dame fan right now. It's going to be a long year probably. Uh, I can't see this one getting too much better. Um, but the question you'd ask yourself is, Mark, I mean, how many games can they have like this before Marcus Freeman is in question already? I mean, he's 0-3, hasn't won his first game yet. And I'm not going to hold his first loss last year against him. I mean, he came in in a bowl game and – was the first time ever being a head coach. So I won't hold that one on him. But coming in beginning this year, Ohio State loss. But the Marshall loss, that one's unexplainable. Um, you, you just don't lose to Marshall at home. And we'll talk about teams getting paid. Marshall's another team that's getting paid over a million dollars to go in and beat a ranked opponent like Notre Dame. You know, and what's crazy to me is, you know, the score will show that it was a tight game. You know, 26 to 21, Marshall wins. But – it never really felt like Notre Dame had really a chance. I mean, I know they were up 15 to 12 in the fourth quarter, but Notre Dame just looked like the worst team on the field that game. Marshall was clearly a better team. At no point, you know, did Notre Dame outscore Marshall in any quarter. You know, it was scoreless after the first. You know, Marshall scored nine in the second quarter to Notre Dame seven. Uh, Marshall scored the only points of the third quarter when they hit a field goal, and then they each scored 14 in the fourth quarter. So Marshall just kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, dominated this game in the sense that they never let Notre Dame feel like they had a chance. And, you know, if I am Notre Dame fans, like I said, Tyler Buckner's out for the year, so they're going to have to play Drew Pine at quarterback, which scares me a little bit because Notre Dame plays Cal next week. Cal's 2-0. and Now, I'm not going to say that Cal's a great football team. They beat UNLV by six points, and they beat UC Davis by 21. So I'm not saying Cal's that great. Then they play North Carolina, who North Carolina has squeaked by the last two weeks. But then you play BYU. And BYU just beat the number nine team in the country, Baylor, in overtime without their top two wide receivers. Um, then you play Stanford. Then UNLV, but then you get Syracuse, who I think Syracuse is a pretty impressive program. They just beat up on UConn, and then you get number five Clemson, and that one is where I think we could find out just how bad Notre Dame is. And then Notre Dame still has Navy, Boston College, and you end the year with USC. I feasibly could see Notre Dame losing five to six games this year, 
And I'm not saying Marcus Freeman would be on the hot seat. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but this could be a very bad start to the Marcus Freeman era if they do not manage to somehow go at least eight and four this year. I mean, you want to say he's not on the hot seat, but Scott Frost might have had a couple of years at Nebraska, but Marcus Freeman will not get that luxury at Notre Dame. Um, I feel like they'd be a lot quicker to move on him than they did than Nebraska did Scott Frost. And it just hurts because a big thing was coming in for Marcus Freeman was recruiting as well. And it doesn't look good recruiting wise when you lose five, six games a year. Um, there's, there's, there's pluses, there's pros and cons to their schedule. I mean, you got a lot of time to recoup here. You got a time to get a nice win against Cal, possibly. I say possibly. We'll see what happens. But then you get some other tougher opponents down the road to redeem yourself, maybe a little bit. Um, I don't see them pull at this rate pulling off anything against Clemson or um, against USC. USC is looking really good right now with their offense just overpowering Stanford this last weekend. But BYU, another team, I mean, we'll see what they do. That's the first-ranked opponent. And, you know, I I, I do worry, you know, I I don't think Freeman's on the hot seat this year. But if they roll into that game against BYU, having lost to Cal and UNC – things could get very ugly very quick for Marcus Freeman. You know, I want to talk about some other games. I want to talk about our darling, our Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Um, I say our Demon Deacons because, folks, if you don't know, Logan has Wake Forest making the college football playoff. At this point, he might as well just say Wake Forest is winning the national title um, because we're Wake Forest all the way, man. Wake Forest all the way. They already showed us they're better than any SEC team. They beat the elite Vanderbilt Commodores this weekend, 45 to 25. Um, it, they're, they're still undefeated, man. We just need them to continue to go undefeated to have a shot to make the playoff. Well, they're making this progression. You know, they're playing harder and harder teams each week. And last week they put – or the first week they put 44 points. This week they put 45 points up against an SEC team. And you want to come in and say, well, Vanderbilt, you barely consider them an SEC team. Well, they're an SEC team. Um, they were 2-0. and Who cares who they played? Vanderbilt is who they are. Um, and they beat them pretty well. Now they get to go and play Liberty next week, which I think will be a pretty good – warm up before they go and play Clemson, which will be an interesting game. And um, yeah, I, after Clemson, I mean, if they can pull off Clemson, I like their chances because you after that, you got Florida State. We'll see how they progress throughout the season. So far, you got Army, who's looked horrendous. After that, Boston College, Boston College, I feel like even no matter how bad Boston College ever is, they're always, I feel like, a competitive game. Um, they might, they, I feel like they upset more teams than not. Um, Louisville looked really good at UCF pulling off just their second loss in like five years or something like that this weekend. That was a fun one to watch down to the wire. Then they go against NC state who is the darling of some people for some reason. I'm not the fan biggest fan. Um, but yeah, if they can pull off, I mean, I can see them losing just maybe one game this year. I, I like their chances. They look really good. And I like Sam Hartman a lot. No, I will tell you, after looking at their schedule, you know, they Liberty like you alluded to this weekend. And Liberty has barely beaten their first two opponents. They beat Southern Miss in four overtimes to start the year, 29-27. And then they beat UAB last week, 21-14. 
So I like the win against Liberty. Um, I'm telling you, if they can beat Clemson, which they get Clemson at home, which is huge, to not have to go on the road to Clemson. If they can beat Clemson, then they're, you know, on the road at Florida State, which I'm not impressed. I'm not sold on Florida State. Like you said, Army has looked bad. Boston College as well. Go to Louisville. And the only thing that worries me with Louisville is the quarterback, Malik Cunningham. His running ability is elite. Um, We all know you hate NC State, so you despise NC State. And I'm telling you, NC State is not going undefeated this year. NC State plays Texas Tech this weekend. Uh, Hot take here, Texas Tech is going to beat NC State. I called Texas Tech beating Houston. That happened. Go ahead and give me back-to-back Texas Tech win against rank opponents. I could see Wake Forest running the table here if they get past Clemson. Really nothing scares me here, you know, Unless Syracuse is elite, I, I, Wake Forest, Sam Hartman looked really good in his season debut. You know, I give me Wake Forest to win potentially the ACC this year. I, I, I You may have made a believer out of me. I mean, the only um, thing that scares me about Clemson is their defense is really good. Um, I'm not scared about their offense, but I could see that game being a, just an absolute shootout. <laughs> Excuse me. Um the Clemson defense is elite. I will give them that, but that's the only thing that scares me in their path. And if they go out and win right in the ACC, they definitely deserve a shot at the college football playoffs. So that's why I'm a big fan of them. I 100% agree. If Wake Forest runs the table and they beat Clemson, which, I mean, like you alluded to, that Clemson offense is not elite. DJ Uagalele, he uh, they played Furman this week and only beat Thur- Furman 35-12, to 12, and DJ did not even throw for 250 yards. That's a concern. That's a huge concern for me. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the ACC is wide open. You look at who was supposed to be the other elite ACC team, Pittsburgh. They lost at home in overtime to Tennessee, 34-27. So I I definitely like Wake Forest's shot there. We alluded to Texas Tech pulling off an upset, 33-30 and double overtime against Houston. You know, just looking at some of these other games, you know, we got to talk about your guys, James Madison. James Madison, first FBS season, and they're 2-0. and They beat up on Middle Tennessee State 44-7, and they just demolished Norfolk State 63-7. And now they get a test. They play App State, man. They play App State 3-30 on Saturday. I don't like their chances in that one. I'm, I didn't say they were going on feed or anything. I'm just saying watch out. They're going to be another App State um, coming up into this new world that they're in i mean you want if you watch scores at all and you like connect them like i do i mean milton milton c state went out and had a pretty good win this week um i believe unless i'm getting that mixed up but yeah i like james madison and i think they're gonna come up and they're gonna um they're gonna beat some teams at some point and shock some guys well so i mean if you want to connect scores here I've, i've got the middle tennessee state score pulled up so if we want to connect scores middle tennessee state did beat Colorado State 34-19. To put that into perspective, Colorado State lost week one to Michigan. So that means that if James Madison absolutely eviscerated Middle Tennessee State, then that means that James Madison would be competitive with Michigan. Are we getting that right? If you put Michigan at James Madison and James Madison packs that house with the schedule, quarterback situation Michigan's facing I think that's a fun game I, I think it's fun um that's all I'm going to say on that one I, I I you know I saw some other scores here and I want to I want to bring one up Kansas 
Kansas isn't just a basketball school anymore, man. Kansas is back. They beat West Virginia in overtime, 55-42. They're 2-0, man. Is Kansas going undefeated this year? Um, That's laughable, and I don't know if I'm even going to entertain that thought right now. Um, But it's good to see them actually win a game or two. This is the first time they're actually looking like they're going to be bowl eligible in a very long time. Um, I did not see them beating West Virginia, but it is what it is. However, another one that I saw coming here, UK in the swamp pulling it off. What do you think about that one? I'm, I was really impressed. You know, I felt that Florida was getting a little bit too overhyped after beating Utah. Um, Utah had to go on the road to play Florida. It was a true road game to start the year. I didn't want to read too much into it. And I think Florida came back down to earth. I think Mark Stoops, the Kentucky head coach, is one of the better coaches in college football that nobody talks about. And I think if you look at Kentucky's schedule, Kentucky is going to have a legitimate shot to maybe only lose one game this year. You know, they play Youngstown State this weekend, and then they play Northern Illinois, and then it's Ole Miss, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Missouri, Vanderbilt. Kentucky could be undefeated going into a November 19th matchup against Georgia, and then it would be Louisville. Could Kentucky feasibly be a one-loss team? Could Kentucky maybe pull off an upset against Georgia this year? Well, if you remember the game last year at Georgia, it was a close one. Georgia was far from running away with that one. Kentucky put up a fight. I mean, they're ranked ninth now. Um, We'll see what happens. I definitely think they have a solid shot going into that November 19th game undefeated. Um, They're going to – I mean, you got Ole Miss, who's coming up with the ranks a little bit. That'll be a tough one at Ole Miss. Um, And at Tennessee, read until we want about Tennessee, but Tennessee is going to give them a challenge. So I definitely don't want to say it's going to be a cakewalk. They got to show up each week. But Kentucky is looking pretty good after that win. You know, the last game I want to highlight is Syracuse. I, You know, Syracuse, and you're going to ask me, why do you want to end on Syracuse? And it's because Syracuse is my pick for surprise team of the year. I, you know, if Wake Forest makes the college football playoff, obviously they're going to shock us all. But Syracuse is a realistic surprise team. They beat up on Louisville week one, 31 to seven. They beat up on UConn this week, 48 14. They get Purdue at home next weekend. Then they get Virginia at home, Wagner at home, and then their first test of the season, NC State at home. I'm predicting Syracuse to upset NC State and be undefeated going into a October 22nd road game at Clemson. I mean, Syracuse could feasibly be a team that maybe only loses two games this year to Clemson and Wake Forest and has quality wins like Pitt, Notre Dame, NC State, you know, on their schedule. I really like Syracuse's football team this year. It's an offense that's scoring a lot of points. You know, Schrader, their quarterback, has played really well. He went 20-23, 292, and three touchdowns against UConn. And then against Louisville, we talked about how great Malik Cunningham's running ability is, you know, Schrader still went 236 and two touchdowns and their defense held Malik Cunningham to only 152 yards passing with two interceptions. I really like Syracuse so far this year. So you're going to have them overlook Purdue. You don't think Purdue is going to be much of a challenge for them. You know, I was impressed with the first three and a half quarters that I watched of Purdue this year against Penn state. And then it was like Purdue just forgot how to tackle. Um, I really like Aiden O'Connell, you know, he's, Got 576 yards and five touchdowns with no turnovers so far this year. So a very impressive stat line, but I'm not sold on Purdue. They did have a big blowout win against Indiana State, 56-0. to But uh, 
Yeah, no, I, I have them beating Purdue pretty comfortably, actually, this weekend. Uh, yeah, I, go ahead and give me some Syracuse Orange. I'm going to dial it back to the shades of the 90s when they had Donovan McNabb playing quarterback for him, man. Syracuse, uh, going to have a big year this year. Interesting take. I like it, though. You know, I, I do I do have to own up to one thing, though, and I, I want to give the Kent State Golden Flashes some credit. Kent State has played arguably the best first halves of football that I've ever seen. They were only down 7-3 to three at halftime against Oklahoma. And they ended up losing the game 33-3. to three. But let's give Kent State some love. They've scheduled Washington, Oklahoma, and then they play Georgia in two weeks. Kent State is cashing a check this year. I love it. I told you, they probably won the hardest schedules in college football um, by far, playing three really tough opponents in their first, like, four games. Amen to that. Folks, this has been our review episode. We're going to be putting out an interview on Wednesday that I did with former Wittenberg quarterback, current professional quarterback Bobby Fralick, a little bit of a hometown Cincinnati product. A really interesting story that we're going to be putting out on Wednesday. And then, Logan, we're back for a Friday episode. Um, so you need to bring those hot takes again, man, because the people we, – we might have to start giving some gambling advice the way you're going. We could have had a fat check if we would have put some money on App State. Absolutely. Um, the only one that didn't hit, I don't think, was the or was the Ohio spread against Penn State. I think you know, it, and that one – it's a good thing we didn't drive down to West Virginia, my man. That's all I could say. <laughs> Absolutely. But, hey, folks, that's all we've got for you guys this time. Like I always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one.